Pastor Richard and Kathy, for those of you who have never heard them or never met them, they're in C3 Ride in Sydney, Ride's a suburb of Sydney, a church that they began to plant over 20 years ago. Uh, that church has grown to a church of a thousand and has planted a number of churches out of both in Australia, New Zealand, and multiple nations around the world. They have uh, right now been, invo- uh, been involved uh, in training church planners of 117 churches that are part of the C3 Reach Network, which is comes out of their their local church. Pastor Richard travels a lot around the world, and I'll tell you a bit more about that in a moment. Quite quite a phenomenon. Pastor Kathy uh, is a powerhouse in her own right. Okay, here at Powerhouse, you're a powerhouse, and and she is a she's a great preacher. We heard her preach over the weekend. She's a she's an excellent excellent. I call she's actually a saint. I think this is a, if I had to describe them really quickly, I'd say Richard's a genius and Kathy's a saint. They're they're together and they make a magnificent team. It's it's awesome. And so. Kathy is a, a, probably one of the greatest gifted pastors that I know. She does a, so many one-on-ones with people, uh, opening up the Bible and helping apply it to their situation and their circumstances. Uh, she, when she speaks, there's there's a real there's a fragrance of heaven around that comes out of her heart. And uh, so together they pastored this church for over 20 years. They've got four awesome kids, and, and she is it's just she's a delightful woman of God. And so it's just a privilege for us. Kathy, to have you to come to speak over this weekend, to impart to us. We're looking forward to hearing you tonight. So come on, C3 Powers, stand on your feet, put your hands together for Pastor Kathy Green. Let's go. Uh, hello, 5 p.m. Gosh, there's a lot of you here for 5 p.m. This is amazing. And uh, I'm very privileged. I feel very honored to be here with you. And uh, I am speaking tonight, uh, for those of you who like a title, because if you can't remember anything and then someone says to you, oh, what did she talk about, and you can't remember, you can at least give them the title. Uh, Being a disciple for a lifetime. Yes. I tell you, being with Jesus is the most exciting thing that any person can do because you never, ever get to the point where you know everything. It doesn't matter how old you are, there is always more. You can be never too young in the kingdom to do mighty things. In Acts 23, there's this amazing story of Paul's nephew, the uh, son of Paul's sister, And he was a very young boy, probably junior youth, and he saved Paul's life. You can never be too young in the kingdom of God. You can never be too old. Moses did his best work in his 80s. So come on down. We're going to be disciples for a lifetime. It's very exciting. I just want to give you a couple of kingdom keys uh, for the kingdom of God in order that you are still the God. Here's the goal, and here's the promise from the Lord, that you will walk with him every day of your life until you stand before him in heaven. This is the goal. This is the dream and this is the promise from our Saviour Jesus. So I'm going to give you a couple of keys. Firstly, thanksgiving. It'll change your life. Uh, Thanksgiving is one of the greatest keys of the kingdom um, because it will shift your spirit. When you move into thanksgiving, it shifts your spirit. Romans 12:2. do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind in order that you can test and approve the will of God, his good, pleasing and perfect will. 
And so thanksgiving helps to uh, shift your heart and your spirit. So not just thanking God for your car, for your job, for your family, but moving into a deep place in him, thanking Jesus for who he is, thanking Jesus for his character, thanking him that he saved you. I just believe that as as followers of Jesus, we should be thanking Jesus every day for our salvation and what he did for us on the cross. When you move into thanksgiving, you relate to God in his goodness. Uh, praise. Um, I often have projects with God and I didn't really understand praise because I was a Christian in the 80s and we were very repetitive. And uh, I thought, praising God can't just be repeating things all the time. So I said to the Lord, Lord, here's my next project. I want you to explain praise to me. I have a current project happening. I have lots of projects with God, but I have a current project actually at the moment. And I was a little bit nervous about whether I would actually ask God if I, we could do it together. But my current project is that the Holy Spirit will show me my unconfessed sin. Oh, what an adventure, but that's a different sermon. <laughs> praise. So I told the Lord I didn't understand praise, and then one night I was watching TV, and uh, on the news they said that there was this planet that was so close to Earth, and it was amazing, and they said, and all these people, they're going to the highest places to see this thing at 8 o'clock tonight. And I thought to myself, I thought, oh, for goodness sake, these people need more to do. And, uh, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said to me, I made that planet. And I, oh, Lord. So I said to the kids, come on. And, and they said, and you have to look to the east. I know which way east is. And I said, quick, come on, kids, it's 8 o'clock. We're going out to see this planet. And uh, out we went. And it was the most beautiful star I have ever seen in my entire life. It was huge. It was golden. It was amazing. And my spirit was filled with praise because of God's greatness. He is the God of the heavens and the earth. He is mighty. Nothing is impossible for him. He is the God of all flesh and nothing is too hard for him. When we come to God in praise, we relate to him in his greatness. And lastly, this is kind of like from Psalm 100 where it talks about enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise and worship him at his footstool. Now, worship is a very deep place. And I would say as a believer, never miss an opportunity to worship. And uh, when at Ride, we have our auditoriums kind of a bit small, and so to accommodate all of our people, we have four services over the weekend. So we do Saturday night and three on Sunday. And when Richard and I go to all four, and when I first started doing all four services, so it's four services in a 24-hour bracket with the same sermon, uh, the same kind of everything, just the people are different. And uh, I thought to myself... I will surely die. And um, I thought, how am I going to do this, Lord? Four services in 24 hours. And I said, Lord, I really need you to help me because I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to pretend, you know, and be in church. I said, please help me, Jesus. I really need you to help me. And the Lord gave me this little thing. He said, when, it's when you come to worship... He said, just step into my presence. And so I always take a little step forward and I imagine myself before the throne of God and it just shifts my spirit. 
never miss an opportunity to worship. It will shift everything in you. A few weeks ago, I was in worship and I was at a bit of a low place and the Lord really ministered to me. I really felt his healing power upon me during worship. But the primary purpose of worship is that we minister to him, that we worship him. It's a very deep place that we go to in worship. And what I love about it, for particularly in churches like ours, it's physical. You can lift your hands. It's your body. It's your soul. It's your spirit is engaged with him. It's a very deep place. When you relate to God in worship, you relate to him in his holiness. If you've got these three things in place, this will last you a lifetime. Um, now, we also, to last a lifetime, we need to position our hearts to be resilient. And uh, a few years ago, many years ago, before I was married, I was praying one morning for my friend. And she was just the most glorious girl, and I was praying for her. And the Lord spoke to me about her, and he said to me that she was like a rose in his garden. And I thought about it, and I thought, yes, she is. I mean, she was a dancer. She wrote poetry. She looked like a supermodel when she sat cross-legged on the ground. Like, she was phenomenal. She had a prophetic gift that was amazing, and I thought to myself, yes, she is a rose. And then out of idle curiosity, I said, oh, Lord, you know, if you've got a garden, um, what am I in your garden? <laughs> and he said to me, he said, a geranium. I, I was offended. <laughs> if you don't know anything about geraniums, you've probably got one in your garden. Like, they're, for, they're scraggly. They, they don't, oh, like, I was offended. And then I thought, okay, Kathy, pull yourself together. You've got to think of something good about a geranium. So I thought, okay, you can plant them anywhere, and they're pretty hard to kill. And, uh, <laughs> and so, but I realised that God was planting resilience in my spirit. He was telling me to be resilient. Um, there's a beautiful song of resilience in the book of Habakkuk. This is a dialogue between God and the prophet, and Habakkuk was perplexed because the predicted Babylonian invasion was coming, and in that time when an, an army invaded a country like Israel, they cut down the trees, they destroyed all of the crops so that there would be starvation in the land. The purpose of this was that it would be decades before a nation could recover. And Habakkuk was so filled with fear. It says in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, he says, My heart pounded, my legs trembled, and my lips quivered. But here we have this beautiful, um, it's actually a poem, a beautiful song from Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the field produces no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and he enables me to go on to the heights. Now this is an amazing yet. This is the yet of resilience that Habakkuk had. It, and he expressed his resilience in joy. He expressed it this way in joy. There is also the resilience of Jesus spoken through the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus began his ministry here on earth. And uh, it's this beautiful scripture, just lost my way, Isaiah 50, 
at verse 6 to 7. This is one of the four servant songs in um, the book of Isaiah, and it's this description of Jesus and the cross. It says at Isaiah 56, at verse 6, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be put to shame. This is the resilience of Jesus. This was foretold prophetically, and he set his face like flint. And why did he do this? In obedience to his Father in heaven, but for you. He was determined to go to the cross. In John 18, verse 4, it says, Jesus, knowing all that was about to happen to him. The cross was not a mystery to Jesus. He knew what would happen. It was predicted in the scriptures. He knew deeply. But the greatest yet in all of history occurred in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, at verse 39, it says this, Going a little farther... Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. This is the greatest yet of throughout all of history. If Jesus had crumbled, we would have been lost. This is the resilience of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He could easily have come down off the cross. He could easily have given in and said, Lord, just take me home. But he didn't. He resisted all of that temptation for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and the purpose was for us. I just know that this same yet, can live in us. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me within. We need a yet in our spirit. There will be things that will happen in your life when you're following Jesus for a lifetime where you need a yet. And I just believe you need to make a decision for the yet. I frequently say, Lord, give me a yet in my spirit. Lord, give me a yet so that I will follow you all the days of my life. And lastly, one of the things that I would say to be the disciple for a lifetime is actually forgiveness and to move into this. Now, I shared this in the breakout group yesterday, but I just feel that there is somebody here tonight and you have struggled with forgiveness and the Lord wants to set you free. The Lord wants to bring you into freedom. So this is for you. Uh, when Jesus was on the cross, he actually displayed two types of forgiveness. Uh, in Luke 23:34, uh, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, of the seven things that Jesus spoke from the cross, this was one of them. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, this type of forgiveness was Jesus forgiving the unrepentant. You have to understand that people were mocking him, they were hurling insults at him, and yet he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. Uh, some biblical scholars have uh, thought that because of the structure of the Greek in this particular passage, that Jesus was actually repeating this over and over again. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. In Luke 23, at verse 42 to 43, is a different type of forgiveness that Jesus um, displayed. So the thief, one of them, the criminals, was next to Jesus on the cross, and uh, one was hurling insults at Jesus, and the other said to him, what are you doing? This man has done nothing. Uh, we deserve to die like this, but he doesn't. 
And then, of course, he turned to Jesus and the thief said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly, I tell you today that you will be with me in paradise. When Jesus forgave that man, he uh, forgave one who was repentant. See, there were two types of forgiveness that Jesus displayed. He forgave the unrepentant and he forgave the one who said sorry. Did you know that you will have the very same people in your life and the very same opportunities to forgive? There will be people in your life who will never say sorry to you. You will never have your moment. You will never have your moment of vindication except before the throne in heaven. But the strength of Jesus is in you, that you can forgive even these, uh, those who are unrepentant and those who are. The beautiful thing about this story about the thief on the cross is that we know from the scriptures that Jesus was uh, crucified at about nine o'clock in the morning and that he died at about three o'clock in the afternoon, which is six hours. And biblical scholars believe that the very first thing Jesus started to say was, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. At the beginning of the day in Matthew 27, 44, it says that both of the criminals who were crucified either side of Jesus were hurling their insults at him. Something happened to one of them during the day as he watched Jesus, as he saw him, and he came to a place of repentance. I just believe that when we forgive the unrepentant, it actually opens the door for the kingdom of God and brings us to this place. Forgiveness can be very difficult. Uh, it's probably one of the most difficult things that we need to do. It's one of the things that we know we, we, know we need to do it, but it can be very hard. And uh, a few years ago, I was struggling with forgiveness, and I, would, I had a particular situation, and so I was really seeking to forgive them, and it didn't seem to work for me. I had the same intensity of sorrow, I had the same intensity and the emotions, and I used to think to myself, maybe I haven't forgiven them properly, not knowing what properly meant, but I thought, maybe I just haven't done it, maybe, and I, so I was constantly in this cycle of forgiving them, forgiving them with no kind of freedom. Then one day the Lord spoke to me and he said, you are being tempted by a memory. See, the point is that when you remember an event, particularly a painful event, you have the thought and then as soon as a thought precedes an emotion, so you have the thought of this and then the emotions are stirred and you come back to the pain and back to the sorrow and as believers we think that the pain and the sorrow indicates we haven't forgiven them. But the Lord explained to me that I was being tempted by a memory which was such a freedom because he was saying, and he said, you have forgiven them, it's just a temptation. So then the Lord gave me a little practical way to forgive which is for the, the beautiful one who's here. Do it with Jesus. Sometimes we leave Jesus out of our forgiveness. Have a cup of tea with Jesus. You don't actually have to make him one. Just make one for yourself. His food is not of this world. But sit down with Jesus and have a cup of tea with Jesus. Pour your heart out to him. Tell him what happened. Tell him how you feel. Tell him what it's done to you. And then with an act of your will, forgive that person with Jesus. Talk to Jesus and say, Jesus... I forgive them for what they've done. I do it now and then write it down. So when I have a big forgiveness issue, I write it down and I put the date and I put it in my journal. 
And so then when I'm tempted by a memory, I can think, actually, I've already done it because it's in my journal. Jesus went on to say in the scriptures, he said, um, to bless those who curse you and to pray for those who mistreat you. And so there's this blessing component. And so the Holy Spirit showed me that once I had forgiven someone, the next thing I need to do is to bless them. The beauty of this is it gives you something to do. So then when you get tempted by the memory and all of your emotions are stirred, you think to yourself, I've already forgiven them. All I have to do is bless them. And so instead of the, that, you move here and pursue Jesus. Lord, I bless them. I ask your Holy Spirit to be with them. It's hard at the start, but you get better as you go. I just say it's a real freedom. This will last you a lifetime. I just know that Jesus will do this for you. Jesus loves you deeply. He cares about you. And he loves you and he wants to walk with you every single day of your life. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in a bookshop and I found a book that was about the meaning of flowers. And I thought, oh, Firstly, I thought, who's got time for this? But anyway, and so I thought, out of curiosity, I thought, I wonder what the meaning of geranium is. And I looked it up. The meaning of geranium is friendship. It's the same for you. <clears throat> Jesus is your friend. You walk with him all the days of your life, and you'll see his kingdom come. Amen. That's awesome. I love that. Come on, put your hands together for Pastor Kathy. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant.